if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. This morning we're looking at verses 5 through 12. Proverbs chapter 3, looking at verses 5 through 12. And if you do not, do not have a Bible, then you can grab one of the Pew Bibles there and turn to page 495 in the Pew Bible. 495 in the Pew Bible. And if you do not have your own Bible, then please take one of those Pew Bibles as our gift to you. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word, so that's our gift to you today. Now we've looked at, last week we, we looked at uh, Proverbs chapter 3, 1 through 4, and that was the way of integrity. Uh, we talked about integrity last week, and in previous messages, earlier messages, we looked at Proverbs three thirteen through the end there, 35, and that was the pursuit of happiness and we don't want to miss the heart of this chapter in chapter 3 and that's in verses 5 through 12 and that's the looking at the way of worship the way of worship and so we're going to consider that today you know worship is more than what we do here on Sunday morning worship is far more than what we do in this little hour hour and a half that we're in here each Sunday morning. Now, a lot of people have that misconception, don't they? A lot of people would say, well, what's worship? Well, that's what you do on Sunday morning, right? That You have the worship service, and, and you sing songs, and you, you listen to God's Word preached. That's worship. But worship is far more than that. Worship is far more than that. People like to divide their time up into sacred time. That's the worship hour and secular time so you come here to worship and then once you're through worshiping you kind of check that off your list done that this week and then you go to your secular time and, and whatever time you have outside the, the walls of the church that's that's secular time and so uh, that's different than worship but scripture has a very different understanding of worship in fact I mean when you think about Old Testament Israel they had that kind of concept of worship they thought worship was defined by going to the temple, participating in the sacrifices and the feasts and the fasts. That was worship. They went in and sang their hymns, their, their psalms in the temple. That was worship. And then once they left worship, uh, they were on secular time. They were on their own time, and they did their own thing quite different, quite separate from what they did in the temple during that time of, quote, worship, unquote. And God condemned them for that kind of mindset. In Isaiah chapter 29, verses 13 through 14, the Lord said to Israel, because this people draw near with their mouth, and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men it's just words right therefore behold i will again do wonderful things with this people with wonder upon wonder and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden you see, God understands, uh, his understanding of, of worship is far different than a designated hour or two during the week. 
worship for God is an activity uh, that is, is carries out throughout the week. Worship, in fact, is not just a, an activity for a moment. It is a way of life. Worship is a way of life. It is a lifestyle. And that's what we're going to see in our text today. Worship is a way of life. Man, if you're not worshiping God on a daily basis, then I would dare say that you're not really worshiping God when you come into this place. You're not. Because if you're not worshiping God on a daily basis outside these walls, then what you're saying is your heart is far from God. You can come sing all the songs, you can say these prayers, you can listen to the scriptures taught and preached, but your heart still remains far from God. Worship is not an hour of the week. Worship is a way of life. And today we're going to see in our text three essential attitudes that mark a life of worship. Three essential attitudes that mark a life of worship. And my, my prayer today is that we would live out a life of worship daily we would live a life of worship that we would worship god every day monday through sunday all the all week long we worship god every hour of the day we worship god we have a lifestyle of worship so if you found your place there let's read our text please stand with me in reverence to the reading of god's holy word Hear the word of the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine my son do not despise the lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof for the lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights let's go to the lord in prayer Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you today for your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Father, as we come to, to understand this word, to, to hear your instruction from this word, Lord, I pray that you would give me the words to speak, that you would guide my, my speech so that I would preach accurately. And Lord, open our hearts and our minds to hear the word, to see the word, understand the, your word, and give us the humility to conform to it. Now these things I pray in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Now as we consider our text this morning, the first essential element of of worship, the first attitude that marks a lifestyle of worship is this, 
It's absolute trust, absolute trust in God. We see this in that first line, trust the Lord with all your heart. Trust the Lord with all of your heart, every ounce of your being. Trust the Lord. Do not lean on your own understanding, but trust the Lord with all of your heart. With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's that great commandment, isn't it? When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? It was that from Deuteronomy where Moses says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You're to love him, and that means trust him with every ounce of your being. Worship begins with an act of trust in God, trusting God with your entire being. From all of your life, you trust him. He goes on to reiterate this, in all your ways acknowledge him. Uh, This word here, acknowledge, has this meaning of intimate knowledge. If we're going to have absolute trust in God, that means we've got to have intimate knowledge of who God is and and what his ways are. That word acknowledge there, uh, it's really, acknowledge doesn't do the, the Hebrew word justice, I don't believe. Uh, the Hebrew word here that behind that word acknowledge, it, it comes from the, the Hebrew word that means to know someone intimately, to know someone intimately, to, to be in a, an intimate relationship with someone. And so what the, the psalmist or what the uh, Solomon here is saying is, is you have to have a deep knowledge of God, an intimate relationship with God to, to know him and to know his ways. How are you going to trust in God if you don't know God? How are you going to trust in God's ways if you don't have an intimate knowledge of his ways? How are you going to conform your life to him if you don't know him? And so trust, absolute trust in God starts with an intimate knowledge of God to know him deeply and intimately, to know his character to know what he likes and what he dislikes, what he approves of, what he disapproves of. You've got to know God intimately. That means you have to dig into his word. You've got to get to know his word. That's how we know God. We can't just call up God on the phone and say, well, how's things going? Tell me all about yourself. We don't have that. We, we can't commune with God that way. How do we know God? We know him through his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And so to trust in God means that we've got to trust his word, his revelation of himself to us. This is how he has revealed himself to us. And so we've got to get into his word. We've got to dig into his word. We've got to know his word intimately so that we can know God intimately. We've got to be in communion with him. We've got to be in a relationship with him. We've got to know God on an intimate level. We've got to trust in him and submit to his lordship over our lives. Absolute trust in God begins with that intimate knowledge. But, but when we g- gain that intimate knowledge, as we gain that intimate knowledge of God, it also calls for us to be humbly submissive to God. It calls for humble submission, submitting to God's authority over our lives we see this run all through these first two lines here actually the three the first three verses there trust the lord 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, right? Submit to his lordship. Fear him. Surrender to his sovereignty over your life and turn away from evil turn away from your rebellion you've been living in rebellion to god you've been going your own way you've been wise in your own eyes doing your own thing turn away from that way and turn to god trust in god trust in his way that his way is the right way you see surrendering to god knowing god intimately and surrendering to him Trusting in him absolutely means that we've got to take a knee. We've got to say, my way is the bad way. Your way is the right way. I'm going to trust in you. A lot of people don't want to do that. Well, God's word tells me that, you know, if I'm going to pursue his way, and his way is the best way, then, then I've got to quit this activity over here. But I like doing that. I like doing that. Well, when you continue doing that, though God's word says don't do that, when you continue do, doing that, then you're trusting in your own wisdom. You're not acknowledging God. You're trusting in your own wisdom and your own way, and you've got to turn away from that way and trust in God's way. You see, we've got to humble ourselves before the throne of Jesus Christ. We've got to humble ourselves before the word of God. Submit to his way. You know, that's why we have a pulpit here. Because this pulpit in the center of this room acts as a throne. Here's the center of our attention right here. And on this throne is God's word. It's God's revelation of himself. And so as we come here to worship, we come to hear a word from God. God is on his throne. We are below God. We sit below God. We are kneel before God. We are submissive to God. He is on the throne. We are not. And until you step off the throne of your life and submit to the sovereignty of God in your life, you will not absolutely trust God. You've not surrendered your life to God, and you can't worship. You'll never worship God sitting upon the throne of your life. You've got to get off of that throne. You've got to get before the, the throne of, of Jesus Christ, and you've got to kneel in submission to him. Otherwise, you cannot know worship. If we're going to know worship, if we're going to live a lifestyle of worship, dear friend, you've got to surrender to the authority of God over your life. Submit to him. Absolutely trust in his way. And what does it offer us? I see this, 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 this passage here. It gives us what to do. Here's what you must do. Absolutely trust in God. And here's your motivation. I love how the Proverbs do this. 
he gives us our motivation in verses 7 and 8. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Submit to him and turn away from evil, your rebellion. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. You know, we live in a fallen world marked by sickness and suffering. But God promises by his grace, through faith, by trusting in him, that he will save us from the curse of sin, from the curse of this world. And he will heal us and give us rest. Now that healing and that rest may not come in this lifetime. Because we know that the way of every man ultimately is the grave. But God sent his son Jesus Christ to come and to suffer with us and to die for us so that God might fulfill his promise through Christ in the kingdom that is to come. When Jesus Christ returns, he will make all things new. All the other worldly governments will be brought to nothing. And Jesus Christ will rule and reign. And on that day, he will overcome once and for all sickness and suffering and death and conflict and all of those other things that, that we still experience in this world. And as followers of Jesus Christ, submitting to his lordship over our life, we're looking to that hope, that eternal hope, in Christ. Do you have that hope today? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Do you trust him? He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's going to give us eternal rest. When he established his, his kingdom here on this world once and for all. Worship begins. It begins with absolute trust in God. Absolute trust in his Savior. Absolute trust in Jesus Christ. Do you trust Jesus? The way... Of worship starts with absolute trust in God. Second, the way of worship is marked by actualized respect. Actualized respect. Uh, notice what he says here in this next little section, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with or from out of your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Honor the Lord from out of your wealth, with your wealth. And what he's calling for here is active worship. What Solomon is calling for here is active worship. Worship, worship the Lord, not just in words, but in deed, right? Worship God with Active respect. Give him active worship. You know, in Matthew 15, verse 8, 
Jesus quotes that verse we, we read earlier, Isaiah 29, 13, and he says it like this, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. This people honors me, right? They respect me with their lips. They just, they just give lip service to honor me, but yet their heart is far from me. Their actions don't, don't show what their lips are saying. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You know, it's, it's really easy for us to come in here and sing, All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. Yet walk out those doors, clenching everything that we have, all our wealth, all of our possessions, holding on to it as if that is our only hope. And God says, honor me with your wealth. Honor me with your wealth. Show that you truly trust in me and not your worldly possessions. Show it to me. Prove it to me by honoring me with not just words, not just with songs, but with your wealth, with your means, with your possessions. I was reading this and studying this this week. I, I was reminded of the baptism of the great Texan, Sam Houston. Sam Houston was an immoral man. Actually, his, his nickname was the Big Drunk. That's what they called him. That was until he had surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. And then on the day of baptism, as Houston was walking down to the creek to, to be baptized, Reverend Burleson who was to do the baptism, he, he looked behind him and he saw that, that Houston had on his watch. He had a chain watch on, on his hip there and he saw he had to, his watch on. He said, uh, you're going to want to hand that off to somebody. You, want, you don't want to bring your watch down here and get it wet. You want to hand it off to somebody. So, so Houston, he grabbed it and he handed it over to his friend and he continued to walk down the creek. Oh, you're going to want to hand him your wallet as well. And Houston said, I don't think so, preacher. I think my money needs to be baptized too. See, he understood something, a very valuable lesson that we all need to understand that what we value most, we're going to spend the most on. We're going to invest in what we value most in life. As someone else once said, show me a man's checkbook and I'll show you what he loves. Because we spend money on the things that we value most. And there's a lot of people out there who say they love God with their lips, but their checkbook shows a different story. They may go through the motions of worship, yet they, they fail to, to honor God with their possessions. We need to understand. We spend on what we value most. And if you value God, if you trust God, value God, worship God, then your checkbook, your finances, your possessions will reflect it. What does your checkbook say? Now, this church is a good, uh, a good given church. 
So I know a lot of folks in this church, you value God because you show that. But certainly there's some. You've been holding on to those possessions a little too tight. Value God with your possessions. Honor him with your possessions. Engage in active worship. You need to actively honor God by putting your money where your mouth is. You need to honor God from out of your resources. This calls for active worship, but it also calls for prioritized worship, doesn't it? Prioritized worship. Honor the Lord from out of your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. With the first fruits of all your produce. We've talked about this uh, uh, several times over this, this past year, I know. When we, we talk about the first fruit, that means that's, that's the first check that you write, isn't it? When you get income, when you receive a, a check from your boss or from your retirement fund or, or whatever you're, you're receiving uh, finances from, your first check written out of that is not to the electric company, not to the water company, not to pay the cable bill, not to pay the boat loan, not to pay the car loan. Your first check to be written from that is to be to the Lord. That's your first fruits. That's your first fruits. He gets first dibs, right? It, you honor him first. You, you worship him with your, your property first. And then you pay all of those other things. And then if there's something left over, hey, go enjoy, right? But you, you worship God first. You make him first priority in your life. You give to the Lord first. And notice the motive here. Again, we have a motive in verse 10. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Look, when God provides, everything that we have is his provision. So whatever check you're getting on a weekly basis or a monthly basis or however you get paid, whatever property you, you own, it all belongs to God. It all belongs to him in the first place. He's created it all. He owns it all. He owns you. He owns your house. He owns your vehicle. It all belongs to him. He has only given it to you to steward. He has blessed you with whatever you have. It is a blessing from God. He has given it to you. And here's his promise that when we honor him, worship him with our first fruits, then God will honor us. And he will provide for our needs. Now, it doesn't say that if we give God $50, he's going to give us $100. There, there's no prosperity gospel in Scripture that if you give, God will give you even more. But the promise is that he will provide. He will provide for our needs. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced God's provision in your life? When you knew God was telling you, I need to give this 
either to the church or I need to give this to someone here that God has put in my life who has a need. I need to give this. I, I don't know why, but he's impressed me to give this. And I've got this other bill coming up, and I don't know how I'm going to pay it. But, but God has told me clearly that I need to, to give this to, to this need, to fulfill this need. And then lo and behold, there comes a check in the mail. Lo and behold, there comes some other way that God provides for your, your needs. When you honor God, God will honor you. He will bless you and he will provide for your needs. The way of worship is marked by actualized respect. God is the one who has provided your wealth. Now honor him. And he will honor you. So the way of worship is marked by absolute trust, actualized respect, and third, enduring appreciation. Enduring appreciation. Uh, this is a good one here. When we talk about worship, we, we kind of come down to this little verse and like, what? What's he talking about there? Discipline. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be wary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Now, uh, some translations say things a little differently here. There's actually three words. If you begin to look at the Hebrew, study the Hebrew language here, there's three words here that are, are kind of synonymous in the Hebrew language, and, and so they, they mean similar things, but there's different nuances to that. We, we, we understand that. There's words in the English language that are synonymous, but each word has just like a slight little nuance to it. Well, you have here the word discipline, the word reproof, and the word reproves here that are all different Hebrew words, but they're, they're synonymous in many ways. But we need to understand the nuances uh, of the these words a little bit. And I, and I don't really think the ESV quite gets it the uh, way it needs to be. Uh, here's the RGV translation. That's my translation of this. It's very close to the Christian Standard Version. But uh, here it is. My son, do not despise the Lord's instruction or be weary of his correction for the Lord disciplines him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. And so that first word there that uh, in ESV is discipline, I think it has more of the nuance of instruction. So it, it's, it's synonymous, right? There's instruction and there's discipline and the, that kind of these both ideas are in there together. But the word that's used in Hebrew has more of this idea uh, of discipline as in the sense of training, as in the sense of instruction. And, and so it has this idea of instructing someone and coming underneath that instruction. So we're, we're called disciples of Jesus Christ. We're called disciples of Jesus Christ. So as we are, are surrendering to become disciples of Jesus Christ, we are surrendering to his discipline over our lives he teaches us and we listen to his instruction and so first here i think that the the solomon here is, is talking about the instruction so appreciating the instruction of the lord we have to appreciate the instruction of the lord he instructs us 
He teaches us through his word. He teaches us. He, he gives us, here's how you should live. Here's the way you should live life, and, and it's for your benefit. It's for your good. Here's my instruction. He gives us his instruction, and so we should certainly appreciate the Lord's instruction over our lives. Now, sometimes that instruction, it, it doesn't, you know, we, we're not really crazy about it, right? Because some of that instruction is like, well, oh, man, that, that's kind of hard to do, Lord. You're telling me to forgive? Like you forgive, but man, that person, they did me wrong, and I'm just, ah, oh, I don't want to, I don't know if I can do it, Lord, right? It's painful sometimes to come under the Lord's instruction and let his instruction guide us in life, but we must appreciate the Lord's instruction. That means surrendering to his instruction, taking it as its blessing, as the blessing it is. You know, a lot of times the Lord's Word comes in and we don't like what it says because we want to do something else. But we need to understand that God's Word is a blessing. God's law is a blessing. It was a blessing to Israel, and it's a blessing to us. It instructs us of the ways of the Lord, and the ways of the Lord are good. A lot of people will look at the scripture and say, oh, well, that's just such a hindrance. What do you mean I can't do that? But I like to do that. God's word is such a hindrance, right? It, it, it's so confining. It's so binding. But, but God's word is not to be, be meant to be binding. Because God created us a certain way. And God knows what's ultimately good for us. Our sin nature drives us away from what's good for us. Our sin nature wants to do the opposite of what's good for us. God's word is good for us. It teaches us what's good for us. And so we should appreciate God's instruction and surrender to his instruction. So we have enduring appreciation for God by appreciating God's instruction for our lives. Now that next word there, as we're moving on down there, or be weary of his reproof. Here in this, 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 kind of, this word has more of the idea of correction, reproving, correcting someone. This has more of that idea of, of how your parents do or what your parents do uh, when they... They grounded you, right? You, you disobeyed the word of your parents, and, and so they grounded you. Or as a parent, you grounded your children, right? They, they disobeyed you. They disobeyed your command, and you grounded them. Well, God corrects his children. He disciplines them in, in that respect. He corrects us. He disciplines us for our good. For our good. Now, think about that. You have a, a, a little child, and you told that little child, hey, don't stick that toy in the light socket. And, of course, what does that little child want to do? That little child wants to stick that toy in the light socket because you told that child not to. 
And so when you, you catch that little child slipping over to the light socket, what are you going to do? Are you just going to sit there and let the child stick the toy in the light socket? Are you going to wear his little tail out to, to get it through his head? That's not what he needs to do. Well, if you love that child, you're probably going to wear his little tail in out so that he won't do that because that's dangerous. That's not for his good. He thinks it's for his good. It looks fun, but it's not. And so you correct your child. You discipline them because you love him or her. You love your children and you discipline them. Now, as a parent, you know, you understand that old, old saying, and, and we, we hated it when our parents might have said this to us, man, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And you're thinking as a child, uh-uh, I don't think so. You're lying. But then when you get to be a, a, an adult and you get to be a parent, then you begin to realize, yeah, because we don't always like to discipline our children. But we know it's for their good. We love them and we correct them for their good. So enduring appreciation is appreciating God's instruction and appreciating God's correction. Man, if we can worship God and thank God for his correction, for his discipline over us, then how much more can we appreciate God and thank God for all the positive blessings that he pours out on us in Jesus Christ. Here's the motivation that we see in our text. For the Lord reproves, he disciplines him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. The Lord's discipline in our life, when we, when we feel that corrective discipline in our life, that, that punishment from the Lord as children of God we don't feel that punishment as judgment we feel that as correction from a loving God who loves us and wants the best for us so he keeps us he, he tries to keep us from doing those things that will hurt us and bring bad things into our lives I love this Proverbs 13 24 Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. God disciplines those whom he loves. Are you thankful for God's discipline in your life? The way of worship is marked by enduring appreciation, not just appreciating all the positive blessings in life, but also appreciating every correcting, uh, every corrective blessing as well. Every spanking. Every grounding. Everything that God does in us in our lives to correct our bad behavior. Appreciate that. Thank God for that. Praise God for that. A true worshiper appreciates all of the blessings. That the Lord pours out upon him or her. Have you thanked God and praised God for his discipline in your life? 
certainly we've all experienced it in one way, shape, form, or fashion. We've all experienced God's discipline, His correction in our life. Have you praised Him for it? Have you thanked Him for it? As a child, I didn't appreciate my parents' discipline. But as an adult, I'm so thankful. I'm thankful for every spanking I got, every grounding that I endured, because ultimately it made me a better person. How much more God? How much more God's discipline in our life is for our good? Appreciate God's discipline in your life. Don't just worship God in words on Sunday. Worship God with all your life. Trust Him absolutely with your life. Surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Surrender your life to God's Word. Live in submission to Him. Surrender to His Lordship over you. And understand true worship. Honor God with all of your resources. Give everything to God. Give it all to God. Honor Him with everything you have. And trust in His provisions for your life. Exercise enduring appreciation. Give thanks to God every day for every blessing that He puts in your life both the positive and the corrective. Praise God for all of His blessings. Worship is a way of life. Every day, every day, give glory and honor to God. Not just on Sunday. Not just on Sunday. Trust God every day. Appreciate God every day. Honor Him with Everything that you have, honor Him with your whole life every day. Worship God with your life. Oh, Heavenly Father. Lord, as we come together as a church to worship, Lord, we thank You for this opportunity. We thank You that we're able to come today and worship in this place, to gather together as Your assembled people, your church, to honor and glorify your name. But Father, let us not be defined, let our worship not be defined by just this moment in our week. But Lord, let us worship you every day. Let us honor you with our entire lives, trusting in you, giving thanks to your name daily. And Lord, help us to show other people the value that we have in you, in Jesus Christ. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen.